Dotnet Rocks episode 725 with guest Kathy Malone. Recorded live Thursday, December 1st, 2011. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklins.net, training developers to work smarter and now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. And now here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much and welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's Carl and Richard. It's good. It's .NET and today it's green. Hey, Richard. Yes, indeed it is. How are you, my friend? Uh, I'm good. It's it's good to be recording shows in the studio again. Oh, yeah. And of course, it's December for me. So what am I doing but building computers all over the place? I have parts everywhere and I'm happy. Yeah. Awesome. But, you know, one of the a, I got an interesting milestone for you, my friend. OK, I'm taking water cooling out. Oh, man. Why? Too dangerous. Because the new fans are so quiet. Dude. I've, I, I've got a machine here cool with 120 millimeter fans that under routine use is actually quieter than the pump that was in it. I got to admit the, um, I, I bought a, like a $400 Lenovo PC off Newegg just yeah. for, just to run stuff around the house. And it was quiet as a mouse. I couldn't believe it. Well, and I think a couple of things have happened, which I think almost sells into the show too, which is the latest generations of hardware are running cooler. You know, I mm. got into water cooling during the P4 era, you know, back when, you know, there was demonstrations of cooking food on your processor. Yeah. And you, you know, set fire to things because the machines got so hot. You, you couldn't use your laptop on your lap because it would actually burn you. Mm. Uh, but that, you know, hardware's changed direction now and, and it's much more powerful, but it also is not as hot. So yeah, it was an interesting moment for me last night to actually strip all the water cooling out of a machine, replace it with fans, reassemble it and went simpler, cheaper, quieter. Richard, you know, uh, I was looking at this really cool mini PC. You know, the mini PCs are great. Those A-open ones that you got. Sure, love them. And uh, I found one that's even smaller. No. Yeah, if you go to tinyurl.com slash miniboxpc, uh, you'll see the mini box and uh, from mini-box.com. Wow, it's an how LCD. small is this thing? If you take a look, if you enlarge the back picture, the picture yeah. of the back, you look at the USB port. You know, you can get a good idea from the keyboard port and the, you know, the electronic. Well, that that whole backplate, that's a standard ATX backplate. That's about maybe six inches long. Yeah, so so it's tiny. Maybe just a little bit higher than that. Right. Well, you can see there's one slot plate there. So they have a, a single, probably PCI slot laying on its side. Yeah, exactly. So it's ridiculously small. And, uh, it's got a little LCD in the front with some buttons and remotes and stuff. Cause, so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, wire up the Star Trek Enterprise computer here at my house with speech and everything. And it's just an ongoing project. And I also, this is, let, let's run the better know framework because what the hell? I don't have any classes for you today, but I got something even cooler. Excellent. All right. What do you got? All right. So. You know, one of the problems with speech is I was talking about in an earlier show. When did we do that last show that we recorded? A couple that weeks was, ago? That was last week. It was right. a week ago today, as you're listening to this show. So, uh, and you know, one of the problems with speech is it, it needs to know when you're talking to it rather right. than talking to somebody else. Right. And it doesn't have eyes and it can't see that you're talk- looking at it or whatever. Or maybe it can with the Connect. I don't know. Right. Maybe you were talking not- about the Appen Wildcard class. Yeah, exactly. I was talking about a pen wildcard. Well, 
One of the other solutions that's much easier is to use some kind of remote button. Hmm. And when you press the remote button, that activates listening. And for three seconds or whatever, you can give it a command, and then it will listen and interpret that command. Nice. So it's just a way to keep it off completely all the time by default, except when you press this button. So then the problem becomes finding a button that's a remote button. Right. You know? And I looked at presentation clickers. Yeah. And a lot of them are Bluetooth and a lot have a low range, like a 30-foot range or whatever. Okay. So I went out looking and I found one with a 300-foot range. Now, that's out of range of the microphone. It works, yeah, but if you have a Bluetooth headset with a 300-foot Bluetooth uh, adapter, which I have. Nice. You can do it. So, uh, and I'll talk about that next week, but the clicker is amazing. I, I put the computer in my basement. I went up to the second floor and it was still registering the click. So I went all over my house and it was registering it. It's at tinyurl slash dsan clicker, D-S-A-N clicker. Dsan is the name of the company, D-S-A-N. So it's at uh, B&H Photo in New York, 295 bucks. It's got a, and there's no drivers. It's got a little uh, receiver that you plug in with USB. And then it's got a button with a wire. (laughs) A wireless antenna on it, and uh, one, there's another four-button um, uh, version that has two buttons and a laser pointer. Yeah. And Gadgety. It, yeah, it's very cool. And it just works, and it works like 300 feet away. That's and awesome. And what it does is it presses the uh, left and right arrow buttons, or the up and down arrow buttons. I can't remember which. I think it's left and right arrow buttons. So it emulates a keyboard press keep press and that my friend is the geek toy of the day love it yeah so we'll talk a little bit more about that on the next or next tuesday okay so who's talking to us i grabbed a comment off of show 712 and that was uh scott allen talking about modernizer remember that show that was awesome uh eric jones says Hi, guys. I just heard this show on my WinPhone 7 and could not help but cringe when the W3C stats were given as general stats. Oh, yeah. I am a web dev, and we don't use the stats of one website to determine market usage. The authority on these stats is a company called Net Applications. This is where the tech companies get their research from. They charge thousands for this data. They do offer basic research for free. And here's a link, and the link is netmarketshare.com, and it'll be... uh, included in the show notes. And so I'm looking at the desktop browser version market share. And this is totally generalized. Uh, it's looking at November 2011 data. And it breaks down every browser one at a time. Uh, For IE8 is at 28%. Chrome 15 is at 15%. IE9 at 10%. IE6 at 8%. And so forth down the line. So there you go. There are generalized stats out there for net market share. Uh, and... Thanks for handing that out. And Eric, yep. great comment, man. That's the stuff I like to see. So Absolutely. a mug is off to you. And if you've got questions, concerns, ideas for shows, want to fill us in on a better way to do something, sit, write a comment on the show at .netrocks.com. I love it when the readers are paying attention and they catch things like that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That was just a, a Google search. And, you know, without looking around too much, that's what we found. So thanks for setting us straight. I'll introduce Kathy in just a minute, but first I need to tell you that Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 free minutes for a 10-week free trial of online developer training, hardcore stuff, delivered by MVPs and industry experts. 
They have coverage of iOS, Java, Android, web development, and pretty much anything you can think of on the Microsoft stack. Try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. Pluralsight.com. So, Kathy Malone is our guest today. She was on the TechEd panel in 2008 regarding green and sustainability. She is, uh, um, she works in the sustainability and in, in green technology field is in, in green software. So I'm going to just, she has a bio a mile long, so I'm just going to let her tell you about herself. Welcome to .NET Rocks, Kathy. Hi, guys. Good to get to talk with you about this topic. It is a great topic. And uh, it, first we were talking about Richard. Richard was water cooling his PCs, and then, then I found this little box that uses practically no power. I mean, PCs and computers in general have come a really long way in terms of energy usage, haven't they? They have. A very, very different picture from several years ago. Although I am always looking back to, and I haven't actually done the metrics on it yet, one of the attendees at one of my code camp talks said that if we really wanted to roll back the power, we'd use Windows 95 and VB6. Nice. And huh. I haven't checked to see what the power consumption was back there and whether we've gotten that low again yet. Uh, maybe with the hardware, we're getting real close to that, but sort of always one of those benchmarks. We are going in the right direction now. I mean, the footprint of Windows in, in Windows 8 has gone down. But I recall a show we did with Rico Mariani, uh, who was one of the architects in studio, who said they benchmarked uh yeah studio 6 with uh windows 98 building an app and comparing that to uh windows vista studio 2008 with uh um and built the same app it said they more or less ran the same speed so and in his mind that was not good because it meant they were consuming a lot more resources for doing the same thing so is there a general is there a general causal relationship between um, number of features that software has versus, you know, uh, and uh, the amount of energy it produces? It's one of the things we don't know. And that's one of my um, hot buttons of the moment when I was at Build Conference in September, which was awesome and I love Windows 8. Um, and I was especially tickled when they came out with the keynote with the netbook that they showed in the Windows 7 launch to prove that you could run Windows 7 on a netbook. And on Windows 8, it used 1% CPU instead of 5% for Windows 7. It used half the RAM and had 29 processes instead of 32. Yeah. So I was at that conference and was visiting. Uh, Peter Provost did some uh, a presentation on unit testing that was mm-hmm. excellent. And one of the things he said that just set, off, set me off was he said that two weeks before he interviewed with Microsoft, he had posted, it predates blogs, you know, he had posted that unit testing should just be built into every SKU of Visual Studio automatically. It shouldn't be an add-on feature. And the green and sustainability metrics, we need to answer those questions. One of the things I talked with him about down at the booth needs to be built into the tools so that you, you care about what you measure. Right now, we don't care. We don't even have the parameters in terms of what are the what are the parameters that make an app uh less not only green my my layperson's definition green is the planet sustainability you add people yeah so so you the energy is one piece of it and and one of the other things that was pointed out in some of these green meetings i had that i think is true is a lot of that's out of the control of us as users and as developers and 
And so you might as well just ignore it and get on to the things you can influence. It's fabulous that Windows 8 is coming out with a lower power consumption and the data centers have gotten a lot greener. But you and I can't do much about that other than choose, you know, what data center we use and, and so on and so forth. But where there's still a place that we can have impact is the actual um, green and sustainability metrics of the apps that we build. And green is that how much bandwidth does it consume, how much CPU, how much RAM, um, mm. and and the, the, the sustainability metrics, I would say, were even further in the dark ages in terms of not only do you need to say how many keystrokes, what does that relate to in terms of power, but what's the ergonomic load of that on your users? You know, sustainability starts in your users' joints, ligaments, and tendons. People are our greatest resource, never two keystrokes when one will do. Well, now we've also got to talk about gestures, and there was a great pre-conference at Build by Billy Hollis. It was the second time I've seen him talk about user interface design, and he actually, this time, he might have talked about it the first time, and I didn't pick it up cognitively, but he talked about the optimum cognitive area on a screen for left-to-right readers is diagonal across the screen. That's and right. yeah. that in and it explained why I get these error messages down in the middle bottom of the screen and they don't even register with me because mm. cognitively I have to realize that I need to move my eyes down there and come back and um and I was just saw one of the eulogies to Steve Jobs you know and it said that one of the things is his team tried to tell him oh don't worry about it it's just a couple of extra milliseconds and he said, across millions of users, that's giving them back years of their life collectively yeah. by having more efficient apps. But we're not measuring any of that stuff yet on a, on, a, on a just routine basis where you measure on every build of every app all the time so you can be starting to compare. Where are we going with as developers? You know, um, I actually, early on, uh, when this was even less popular than it is now, um, <laughs> And I will tell you, the Gulf oil spill caused some people who had been calling me out on doing the green thing to suddenly say, because as you know, I do a lot of stuff down in the Florida developer community. All of a sudden, they were interested when the you know in, in green and sustainability. It didn't seem like such a, a a dark topic when they were now worried about their fishing in the Gulf of Mexico and so on. But um, uh, the idea being that. That as developers, we, we're, uh, one of the things I played in some of those presentations was Bill Gates in his retrospective talking about how exciting it was to be building the most efficient basic applications in the world back when they started. And that's mm. something we need to go back to those roots for green and sustainability. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. Hey, can you ever have too many free tools to complement your development skills? I didn't think so. So our friends at Telerik are giving you now more than 30 free products for application development, automated testing, agile project management, and content management. And we're talking free-free. Not a trial, not a demo, but free, complete products supported by a community of over 440,000 developers at Telerik Forums. From free ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, and Silverlight controls, to the free ORM solution and automated testing framework, to free agile management tools and content management systems. All of these and more are available to you for immediate download at Telerik.com slash free stuff. Most of the free products can be used for commercial purposes and give you access to supplemental support resources 
such as documentation and forms. Go to Telerik.com slash free stuff now and take full advantage of the available free of charge products. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. Well, there, you know, there's some things that we can measure. For example, um, hard drives, SSD hard drives, while they're more expensive, uh, they, they put less of a load on energy consumption. They generate much, much less heat. So there's less air conditioning required to cool them. Um, there's also for, for standard hard drives, there are green hard drives. I, do you have green hard drives in your, uh, any of your PCs, Richard or Kathy? I have a couple in mine, and what they are is you pay a little extra for them, but they spin down when you're not using them after a while. The downside is that when you go to access them again, mm-hmm. you got to wait for them to spin up. So, but but uh, they're not constantly spinning around in in uh, taking up a lot of energy. So, I guess there are you know there are some things we can quantify. If you if you program write a program that sits in a tight loop. And takes up a lot of CPU without yielding uh, to to uh, to other processes. You're essentially warming up the room. <laughs> <laughs> Richard used to have this great joke uh, that he had a uh, a, a coffee mix because he did. Richard, you do those water cooled PCs. Yeah, when I have my water cooled PCs, I have my my uh, coffee warmer that was that used the water from the PC to keep it warm. Well, that's that's a re- beneficial reuse and reclamation. So that yeah. Is- <laughs> well, the reality was that I had to run steady at, at home work projects to reheat my my, <laughs> my coffee. That's a great joke because what does that mean? Well, SETI at home is a really CPU intensive application that looks at data that's coming from the from the from this large telescope that is listening to little for little green men. The word the the contact book and movie by Carl Sagan was based on it, and so. It's all distributed computing, and you download these pieces of data and just go to town on it, and your CPU spins up so hot that the water that cools the PC gets hot, so he has to warm his coffee by running these steady at homework. Yeah, I don't know if the thermal efficiency is that high, but it is at least reuse. <laughs> oh, man. So it, I think there's a few different sides to this as well. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I would argue the lowest hanging fruit as an IT guy that I've plucked for green efficiency was just allowing PCs to power down at night yeah. because I could start them up remotely to do their patches when I needed to patch them. Like in terms of yeah. dollars saved, that seemed to be the easiest thing to pick. There's a ton of IT pro. You know, if you look at it a- across the different segments of, um, of, of technology, um, the IT pro's folks have played a huge role. They've helped green the data centers. Um, the operating system people have helped with the operating system, and that's what made it possible to do the power downs. I know a bunch of companies always left their computers spinning up so they could do the patches. And remember, um, when I did a presentation for Wind Connections, they actually ran a green track in 2008. They were the leaders in that. And... Um, and at the time, there still was not as much interest in the topic as a person would hope, so it, it didn't get continued. But one mid-sized communication company figured that they could save $100,000 in energy costs just by turning the machines off at night instead of leaving them spinning up, um, you know, in case they needed to do a patch. Right. But I mean, the more challenging side here is, and I think you're getting at this, is measuring so developers can decide the the 
ecological impact of their code? Can we get to a point where we're talking about watts per transaction? It, I, I don't even think it's, I think you need to spread it across a couple of categories. And I would liken it actually to, not that you guys maybe pay any attention to this kind of thing, but the tr- nutritional labels on food. Yeah. Where, you know, there's the sugar and the protein and the carbo, and maybe that's the, and you guys will know this better than I am. I'm a, I'm a generalist. I'm a solution architect, which I joke means I don't actually know anything about anything. <laughs> um, but, but the, you know, to send my bits and bytes to the data center in, um, you know, wherever it happens to be 40 states away from me, there is some energy associated with that, even if the data center runs very efficiently. And, sure. and so some way to measure that piece of it, some way to measure the load on the server, the load on my box, um, and to have those become something that the consumer could make a decision based on. Um, one of the things we, we I did in the Green Talks was that be it, build it, live it. One example is using the lowest power device you can, and, and that's sort of the, the, the live it thing that, we're, right. that we all take on as a personal thing. So arguably just now using a mobile phone for an app that we used to use a full-size computer for, right. I'd love to see the numbers run. Um, I probably should have run them already myself and probably could figure out a way to do it. But it would be nice to have tooling that would just capture that information and feed it off to us so we could start making those comparisons. One of the things we did in those talks was we just talked about the difference in terms of number of bits across the wire, number of keystrokes between doing an email and text messaging. And in 2008, text messaging was not as big. Right. You could, um, the example we used was a, a, a healthcare application with 50 nurses full time. 365, you know, 24-7, and said that 10% of the traffic could be done with text compared to emails where you've got to have the history and all that stuff. And you were saving millions and millions of bytes in a year. Hmm. Yeah, the co- but the cost per byte is always an interesting number to, to, to translate. You know, the amount of, of voltage involved in transmitting bytes over the network is nowhere near what it costs to, say, spin a hard drive. Right. And it's just one component. That's why I'm saying we need to figure out what the soup can label looks like for green and sustainability mm-hmm. and then try to get it adopted, you know, widely so that people start looking at those numbers. And, I, yeah, I guess the challenge, it's fairly easy for me to stick a, a meter on my computer yeah. to tell me the total number of watts it consumed in a given hour. And then I can, the challenge then is tie that into, say, performance monitor, actually look at what the machine was working on in that time span and and start giving it a a relationship between the two. Yeah, and we all know that that the other thing is it has to be, what's the, you you can't have it fast and cheap and and And, good. Right. And in this case, it has to be. It has to be not only greener and more sustainability, but you still have to retain the performance metrics because nobody's going to give those up. No. And I don't think you need to. I think you'll, I think we can find a way where greener and more sustainability is also at least equivalently performant, if not more so. Well, and jumping back to the conversation we were having in the introduction, I switched away from water cooling to air cooling because I got all the performance I wanted and made it less complex. Yeah. And it's still quiet. But that was really an evolution of the hardware itself that, you know, we're now using Moore's law. Mm-hmm to not necessarily make machines go faster, but to make them more efficient. Right. That that increased density has lowered the power requirements while still providing better performance. 
And we're still at the stone tablet and chisel stage in terms of figuring out what those are around green and sustainability around apps. Um, at Build, the AMD people actually had a tool in their booth where you could run this. Um, they had a tool that would give you that uh, performance of your machine over a small specified period of time. It was the whole machine. But if the only difference was you running your app on a unit test, you know, you could sort of stabilize across testing two different um, iterations of the same application to be starting to figure out what was, what was your performance metrics, what was your energy metric, your green metric on your app um, in different pieces of the app and different iterations of the app. Um, but in but in terms of figuring out what that ergonomic load is, what that sustainability load is, the keystrokes, gestures, cognitive load, um, I started doing some searches. The closest I could get was starting to search in the ergonomic side of things to see what we can find out on that. So it's a it's a long ways before having that roll out to where. And the other analogy I use on it is security. Remember how security back in the dark ages was tacked on at the end? Yeah. And now it's what do you mean the, the dark ages? Yeah, I go back to that <laughs> yesterday. Yeah, that's right. You don't know how I go. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 green and sustainability design and metrics needs to be like security is now built in from the very first gleam. So, in my day job, where we talk about and what chemical are we going to use, that's built in from the very beginning. When the engineer says, "I want to do this," we would go evaluate, well, is a steel part going to be better, cheaper than a plastic part? Um, in terms of an example from my automotive days, they did a, a different kind of car company. Did back when, back when they, you know, were a different kind of car company. They um, actually did that metrics and found out that they could use a better quality adhesive on the front end. It cost more because the disposal cost on the other end was less. And and so it was built in life cycle, end-to-end, application life cycle management kind of thing. And we just don't have that mindset and that tooling in terms of how we build our apps yet. Kathy, what is your day job? I do environmental health and safety for manufacturing. I've been doing it for 30 years. I've been in, quote-unquote, green and sustainability since long before it was fashionable. Um, so back when they first started coming out with the hazardous waste regulations, the water regulations, because the Cuyahoga River, River in Cleveland was on fire, and uh, yeah. and the uh, the way to get rid of hazardous waste that was legal back in those days, some guy'd come in and say, "I'll buy your waste for a hundred bucks, but it's going to cost you five hundred bucks for me to transport it. I take title and ownership to it." He'd buy a condemned box and drive it off into the Everglades and pull the plates. And you and I, as the taxpayers, got to pay for the cleanup. So wow. um, I, I got in just as they were really starting to turn that around. And and now um, it is a better environmental world than it was back then. The EPA did its job. Mm. So how the heck did you end up in software? Industry did its job. Um, EPA was just the hammer. Yeah. Um, and the way I wound up in software... I, I mean, my first, our first software inventory was a contractor with a clipboard and a pencil jotting down what kind of drums he found at the back of the salvage yard. And I got into software because it was a tool I needed to do the job, and it became a case of the tail wagging the dog. And it's also why I take a very practical standpoint. I wasn't a consultant who decided how the software should run. I was someone out on the plant floor doing the work, who needed the most efficient tool I could find because there's, you know, more job than three of us could do. 
And um, so I bring that per that practical hands-on perspective to design a software. But you're sort of the your classic example of a domain expert who became a developer just through necessity. Yeah, and and uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not a real developer. I'm a point and clicker, and I've used real developers and I've used homegrown developers. So at one point in time, it was two of us, a homegrown developer and me. Um, directing 23 programmers for 18 months on an eight-figure product project for Big Three Automotive, came in on time under budget and got deployed to 110 plants. That's a good win. At the very end of the DOS era. <laughs> you mean back when we could ship software? <laughs> What's that? You mean back when we could ship software? Uh, oh, isn't uh, that the truth? Don't get sorry. me started. <laughs> I don't, yeah. don't want to go. That's unfair. No. You know what? Now, the more I think about it, the more I like your... Um, you know, your nutritional label concept. Yeah. But it also, you know, the history of those labels involves, it's not like people have a, a tricorder that they can look at a piece of food and it'll spit out what the, right. what the nutritional content is. There was this huge roster of research for each of the ingredients in a given food stuff, what its nutritional content was. And, you know, it involved burning it and mixing with different chemicals and so forth to figure out all this information. And these days they just use those data tables to produce nutritional content. And we haven't done the research on the computing side to be able to say, you know, here is the power, here is the total energy consumed to complete a stored procedure transaction in this version of SQL Server on this hardware. If we don't start, we'll never get there. I guess that's actually, true. It's just that this is not a small thing to get into. No, it's, it's not. Yeah, complicated challenge. Yeah, but it's um um Greg Leonardo. He's a a member of the Florida developer community. He's he's interested in doing some of that. Um, you know, I've run across people at some of the conferences. Lawrence Ricci with Euro something. You guys probably know him. Um, involved in hardware over in Europe, and he was interested in getting it. So there have been a few people who have expressed an interest, but we've never gotten to critical mass. And so when I talked to Peter Provost and talked about, this is like unit testing. We need to go start doing this. He actually yeah. was talking about getting Jensen Harris, the guy who keynoted, to uh, have me talk to him, but I haven't. we haven't hooked up. I didn't hook up at Build and, and you know, once you go well, home, you, you know, it's one thing for us to put a power monitor on the outside of the machine. It would be another thing if the power supply inside a machine could be a metric as part of Perfmon mm -hmm. so that you really could right. monitor that alongside. And that doesn't seem like a big piece of hardware. That's a little tiny hardware tweak that would up our visibility into what's going on in the power supply in a big way. That would be cool. Yeah, just thing, you know, as a hardware guy, now I got my head going that mm. you know I want a USB plug coming out of my power supply going into my machine and allows me ex moment to moment what is the power consumption of the machine at this particular time, even at the different voltage levels. So I could tell, you know, this 12 volt and 5 volt supply on a machine, so right away I could tell what's its uh, peripheral spun up and consuming more power versus my CPU's working harder. Like there's more correlation then. Yep. And then what? And then what do we pick up for the bandwidth and the server power that you're consuming? Because yeah. those are two other components for sure. Well, I tend to want to instrument the servers the most because I find, especially with virtualization, we're working them much harder. Although virtualization is overall reduce the number of machines we've got, which is a you know, yep. it's an easy green footprint to say that you know the fewer machines you have, the less power you're consuming. Yep. But you still have to, and 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 that. Se certainly seems to be bearing itself out, which is very cool. So, it, it, and if you look at it too, that whole nutritional label, man, that 
there was a lot of fighting over what was going to be on it and whether it was going to be there at all. Well, I think this, the fighting still goes on. There's still questions as to whether those base set of measures are effective. So we're always going to have that battle. At Franklin's Net right now, you can get a DVD with over 11 hours of Billy Hollis on Silverlight 4 or 14 hours of Sahil Malik on SharePoint 2010, each for only six ninety five. Order online at www.franklins.net. Are you looking to change jobs? Infusion Development has offices in New York City, Toronto, London, Dubai, and Poland. Infusion has hired a whole handful of Happy.net Rocks listeners. Contact me for an introduction at carl at franklins.net. Yeah, but they at least give you something relative, and I'll give you another analogy um, that goes into the chemical world that I live in, is the European, um, the United Nations has something called a global globally harmonized system, which is they're trying to get the chemical regulations standardized all across the world. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Um, and so you're already now, it started in Japan in June of 2007, followed by New Zealand and South Korea. Um, the EU picked it up last December. The U.S. was supposed to pick it up this last August. It didn't make it. It's at OMB right now and like within 90 days of coming out. And Canada will follow what the U.S. does. But one of the things they found was that the basic science has not been done on a lot of chemicals because they were grandfathered in. Right. And one of the requirements is going to be as part of the European regulations is the companies are going to have to, they're in the process of doing this now, they're going to have to go get the science. They're going to have to go do the science. And even worse than that, they're not only going to have to do the science, they're going to have to agree on the science. Yeah. But so some, you know, the 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 precedent starting to be there. Yeah, we don't know, but but there's it's appropriate to go start trying to figure out because otherwise we'll never get further than we are now. Yeah. Well, and uh, to me, it seems like that little chunk of being able to instrument the power supply gives us eighty percent of the battle for twenty percent of the effort. Yeah, and then if we come up with some tools that capture the ergonomic loading, the the keystrokes, gestures, you know. Well, that's an interesting that. part of that, especially when we start talking about gesture and touch. Yeah. I When I was building software for re- high-speed entry, when entry speed was everything, yep. I got very particular about people taking their hands off the keyboard to grab the mouse. Yep. Because it took time. Right. But it's also an ergonomic challenge. It's hard on the body. The right. more you could stay steady on a good keyboard, the less stress on that person overall. It's why I love my Toughbook tablet PCs, because... The keyboard is a little bit smaller than a standard keyboard. The touchpad is right within reach of my thumb. I, it puts my at the right angle, and I never have to lift my key, my hands from the keyboard. But that's that's a matter of use cases because then you've got the opposite kind of user who is not a touch typist who uses nothing but the mouse. Right. And so that's a, that's an issue of getting the right use cases to do the evaluation, and then again passing it to the consumer so they can say what kind of user am I. And what are the metrics of this app for the kind of user I am? Well, and then, I mean, when you flip over to a consumptive app on a tablet, it's far less power consumption than a desktop machine doing the same role. Yeah, that gets me back to that. Use the, the lightest device you can possibly use. And then I always have to put out the case for the use case for those of us who are digitally challenged because I live way out in the country when I'm not, you know, traveling on a client site and my bandwidth is, is miserable. Um, and I was really tickled when they did the Windows Phone 7, the uh, Born to Learn series, when they first came out with Windows Phone 7, they were doing the training materials. Mm-hmm. And Andy Wigley said, I live on a mountainside in Wales. If you think I am ever going to be reliably connected to high speed, 
you're hallucinating or some some something to that effect. Right. And the point is is that that's a totally different use case that needs its own metrics because I have to use different I mean for years and years I was VPN on landline because that was the only way I could get through to the clients with a secure site. And um it's a totally different set of keystrokes. It's a different use case for that very bad bandwidth user in terms of what their ergonomics has to be. I mean, the mouse is useless at that point in time. You have to use keyboard shortcuts because you never know where the mouse is, and a keyboard shortcut may take a while to execute, but it will execute what you told it to. Right. Interesting. Yeah, interesting set of problems, and the, and obviously getting more complicated. I, you know, the solution to all of this is Connect. I mean, I Connect could actually <laughs> that that short range Connect that that Microsoft's now talking about right. the one that would be mounted on your monitor. Yeah. To watch where your hands are, where your head are, is what your posture is. You start collecting real ergonomic data about people that way. And you can have it speak to and you and say, "Sit up straight, or Sit you're going to damage your." Yeah. I love it. Nag.net. Well, <laughs> I, uh, I have talked to a group of folks in Europe where built into the application was a 15-minute a time limit of data entry. After 15 minutes, the app would stop working until they walked away. Do you know how much people hate those? Yeah. Because, I mean, we've had one at one of the client sites, and every 10 minutes it would come up with a window saying, you have been working for 10 minutes. And that <laughs> rapidly became uh, that one of those FTM moments, fist through monitor moments. They just wanted to smash the machine yeah. in the middle of something, you know. Yeah, I was focused. I, I, I think, you know, we were ta- and we talked about better software. It was like, let them guy finish his task yeah. before you finally say, you should be taking a break now. And another thing that may, like you say, connect is actually maybe an answer for that because getting to a more natural kind of movement where you're not locked into a single position for and voice too. Yeah, we we still are just scratching the surface over the, some of the potential of those different devices. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm scratching I'm a little seeing... deeper than most people right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really into this. Well, and I see, you know, what, I, what I'm excited to hear is uh, I wear my IT hat and we've done lots in green data centers and things like that because the power savings are money. They have, yep. You know, that's all very clear. Uh, workstations less so. Software, you know, barely even visible, but the ergonomics of, they, they, ergonomics is also green. I'm, I always come at ergonomics from an OSHA perspective of if you injure your people, it's bad for business. Right. So we try and build software that minimizes the risk of, of repetitive strain injuries and so forth, but it's also green. Yeah. And, but it, but it's rolling that out at the, because the example, a, a corollary again back to my day job, if the engineer has already chosen to use steel for this part, they've spent two years building it and invested a couple million bucks, and now I right. come in and say, well, it would be greener to have used this uh, biodegradable such and such, they're not going to change it. So the, it's t- to me the next, um, plateau what is it what would the enterprise say the next you know what would star trek say the next horizon or whatever next galaxy universe um would be to start bringing this into the awareness of developers and have them see that if they started offering these metrics up to the people who are buying their software it could differentiate their software and cause people to preferentially buy their software and that's well, when you'll it, get their attention. It seems to me that timing is excellent because we are in the middle of a user experience revolution anyway. Yeah. So this seems to be a factor to add to that. Yep. So Kathy, what can developers do to be green? You know, what can what can we do as .NET developers 
what we really need to do is get the dialogue started. You know, get an on, get a, get a community started around this discussion, even if there's a lot of screaming and this doesn't apply to me and, and, uh, you know, start the discussion, take it to Microsoft and see where they can help, um, tool up to make it easier for us to answer these questions because we're so we're at such an early stage of this and you know back in 2008 when i talked about it people said it was interesting and then when the economy tanked they stopped even pretending to be interested in it now i'm at at build and here's this thing about the power consumption and then at the sharepoint conference they had like 30 um users in a room talking about the environmental, the green and sustainability stuff that they had done as companies. And it tended to be the traditional stuff, the the recycling paper and reducing electricity use and so on and all that's good. And none of them had yet in- integrated into their IT process, into how they buy software. So in manufacturing, that evaluation, we used to, um, for every single line item that was purchased, um, they had, again at a different kind of car company. They had to say why it was not of environmental interest. This is back in the mid '80s, and and the reason we had to do it that way was because if we asked them if it was a chemical, they'd give us the wrong answer. They'd say, "Well, no, it's only you know toilet bowl cleaner, which mm-hmm. is an acid, and it'll burn your hands. It's not a chemical, oh, or yeah, yeah. or you know." And 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 they'd say, well, it's 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 O-rings, you know, they're not a chemical. Well, they're treated with talc, so they don't stick together and talc's a carcinogen. Right? They have a very weird uh, relationship. Well, I have a very weird relationship to 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 greenness because, all right. So on the one hand, we're producing electrons here with yeah. very little resources getting out knowledge via audio files and downloading and all that stuff, relying on the infrastructure. So there's less of a need for people to to travel, to buy books, to, to, to cut down trees for paper. And yet we get together, Richard and I fly around the world, you know, 14 times a year. And the, the carbon load on that is ridiculous. You know, it's really, really high. So... I, you know, it's just very difficult to be green in in modern society is what I'm getting at. And sometimes it sounds like, you know, shaving off a millisecond here and a millisecond there, but you're flying all over the world, you know. I don't... And I try to not get involved in the carbon controversy. Yeah. And I'm more in the, um, so for example, if you're really looking at some of the things people have come up with, if you're really looking for green and sustainability, to reduce spam would reduce, you know, yeah, oh, yeah. would be huge. Huge amount. Huge. And, and telecommuting has probably done as much to reduce the carbon. It's been huge. I know. But, you know, you do what you can in the areas that you can. It, it's just hard to quantify because it's not black and white. I mean, it's in some ways you're you're reducing the load and on other ways you are adding to it. So Absolutely. It's and always it depends just a, on where you draw the box and how big you draw the box around it, too. Right. All right. Well, I think that's a good place to leave it. Kathy Malone, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts with us. Thanks for having me. And uh, go green. May the dialogue begin. <laughs> yeah. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. Thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 free minutes of developer training online. Pluralsight.com. 
Dotnet Rocks is recorded. Dotnet Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwnet rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, and training developers to work smarter, and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft Development Technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. See you, see you